Good morning. So usually I come up here with at least, you know, some points that I think are really, you know, good little strong teaching statements. And that's what I thought I was going to do this week. Um, But I've been sad about something for the last couple of weeks. And so when I sat down to write up my sermon, I felt like God was telling me it's okay to go there with you all. (laughs) And so... um, I'm going to ask you this morning if I can be honest with you and if I can speak candidly with you. Normally, I wouldn't speak about something like this on a Sunday morning, but Ernest Hemingway said to write hard and clear about what hurts. Um, So that's what I've done this week. (laughs) I may be wishing now that I hadn't, but I I did. And um, so we're just going to go there. I think it'd be a waste if I didn't talk about the things that are important and weighing on my heart, and I would hope that you would do that too. Um, Some of you may have heard this, and some of you may not have, but over the past few weeks, there have been some issues regarding the acceptance, and I promise this whole message is not going to be completely about this, Um, so please bear with me. It goes somewhere, but about the acceptance of women in ministry, uh, it's come up in the big C church, you know, the whole big church across the world. And I'm so grateful, you don't even know how grateful to be a part of a church here that is supportive of people, uh, women in ministry. But I've been deeply saddened that this kind of thinking has been resurfacing and even gaining some strength in 2019. Um, So this morning, I haven't come to you with like three strong teaching points in a fiery sermon. Instead, uh, in fact, my sermon might not even be much of a sermon. (laughs) But I come to you this morning instead offering... I guess, a part of my story, a part of my testimony. Um, I come to you this morning with my mind full of questions <laughs> and my heart, albeit hurting a little, uh, full of some hope. So, And I'm trusting this morning that God is good. I think it's because this is probably the first week <clears throat> that I've been preaching since all of this came out uh, on Facebook and in kind of like church news around the world. And um, I think that's maybe why it's weighing on me so much because I haven't been up here doing this (laughs) for very long and it's kind of, uh, it was shocking to me that it would be talked about. I'm not going to get into what was said or any of that, but Yeah, I just want to share part of my story. When I was a child, I, I absolutely adored being in church. Uh, memorizing scripture and participating in everything I could just filled me with life. <laughs> uh, in middle school and high school, I was lucky to have been part of a great youth group with an amazing youth pastor, Bill. He let me help whenever I could, and he let me lead little Bible studies with my friends and even write a couple of teaching lessons, <laughs> as corny as they probably were and help in whatever way I was able. During that time, my church also hired a new worship pastor named Wes. And Wes was awesome. Wes welcomed me with open arms into the worship team, and he encouraged me to pour myself into my singing. And he helped me and a couple friends start a youth band. Again, corny as it probably was. Bill and Wes never made me feel small or inadequate because I was a girl. They just empowered me to do whatever it was I felt called to do. 
And so I went on every single mission trip um, to every conference, to every class, every Bible study, every event. One Sunday, my pastor, Tim, who has also been a great source of uh, encouragement in my life, asked if anyone in the room felt called into vocational ministry. I was like 17, maybe. I raised my hand. Um, he then asked the couple of us who did raise our hands to come forward to be prayed for. And I remember feeling like so nervous, like what did I just do? But also knowing that even though my heart was racing, my mind was racing, uh, that I didn't question it. You know, I felt sure. It felt right for my life. It was what I felt God wanted for my life. In college, even after I met Andy, I, that didn't change. I was an educational ministry major. I had great professors who inspired me and emboldened me. I only quit school temporarily uh, with the intention of finishing as soon as possible. Andy and I volunteered to serve in every single church we've ever been in, and it's been fun. When it was my turn to go back to school, I found out we were expecting our first child, Lena. And so I thought, well, school will have to wait for now, but I will finish someday. That's always been my thing, you know. In late 2008, Andy was hired as a worship pastor at a church in Huntington, and I remember in Indiana. And I remember feeling absolutely surprised and amazed because he didn't know this at the time, but when we were in school, when our freshman year, I wrote in a little journal. Um, I wrote, I know that you, I was writing a prayer to God, and I wrote, I know that you want me to marry someone who's going to work in the church, too. And then I met Andy, and he was an accounting major, and I thought, oh, that doesn't really matter. And, you know, I've shared this with you before. Uh, I thought, well, it's okay. We'll just, that was, must have been wrong. But then he was asked to become the worship pastor at a church there, and, I mean, I had goosebumps. I remember right where I was sitting when that happened. Um, Years go by pretty fast. We had since moved to D.C. I was doing the young mom thing. I was home with my babies, and I loved it, and I was grateful for it, but it was also really hard. Watching Andy loving what he was doing in ministry was so fun, but if I'm going to be honest, it was very difficult at times, too. I began to question my calling. Am I ever really going to be able to do it? Was I ever really called? Was I wrong? How long will I have to wait? In 2012, my grandpa Sandine passed away. He was a Baptist minister up in Cook, Minnesota. He was one of my favorite people on this entire planet. I traveled from D.C. to my grandparents' house for the funeral, and the whole trip I prayed and listened to two songs over and over. It was a very meditative trip for me. God reminded me of what he had told me in my youth, and when I got home, I had this new resolve, and I remember I sat Andy down right when I got home. I mean, I gave the, the girls some little souvenirs, and then they went in their room to play, and I remember saying, Andy, can we sit down for a second? And I was in the living room, and I sat down with him, and I just said, if I don't go into vocational ministry, I don't even know why I'm on this planet. Um, and Andy has always been supportive of that. Andy's, I set up an appointment with Andy's boss, our pastor William, and explained it all to him, and he was super encouraging to me too. He affirmed it and told me that he would support my efforts 100%. Shortly after my trip home from Minnesota and after my confession to Andy about the strong call I felt toward, my, toward ministry, I had a dream. 
Um, I had a dream. I still remember it pretty vividly. I had a dream that I was in seminary. I remember coming into the lecture hall and setting down my, my bag and getting out my Bible and getting out my books and my notebook, and I was ready to learn, and I was so excited. And when I looked, jeez, uh, it was just a dream. Why is this making me emotional? I remember when I looked up toward the front of the lecture hall, I saw the professor setting his briefcase down and shuffling through some papers with his back turned to the class. And when he turned around, I saw that it was my grandpa. And when I woke up after that dream, I remember thinking, I know I need to follow in his footsteps. But I've been lucky. I've had a life where I've been encouraged to follow those dreams. I've been strengthened in my calling and by key men and women in my life. My husband, Andy, has always loved me in that way. My parents, my grandparents, my aunts and uncles, teachers, always encouraged me to do what I feel called to do. I was so lucky to grow up in churches where I wasn't pushed down because I was a woman. (laughs) I was included and accepted, and I was given a place and allowed to use my voice. The men in leadership in my church were wonderful. But I have to admit, when I was young, I always craved a woman to look up to in the churches that I attended. I always looked for and never found a woman pastor to learn from, to apprentice under. It's no one's fault. I'm not disappointed. Like I said, I was fully supported by the male leaders in my life, and I still am. I just have to ask myself, why? Where are all the women pastors? I've met a few now. (laughs) I have a friend who once told me a couple years ago that when she was eight years old, she told her mom, Mom, when I grow up, I want to be a pastor. And you know what her mom told her? She said, well, you can't. She said, only men can be pastors. That friend of mine is younger than me, and guess what? She grew up. And she did not become a pastor. Maybe it wasn't the calling on her life. Maybe it was. I can only imagine if someone would have said that to me when I was eight years old. When I was in high school, I would preach in my... This is embarrassing. I would preach in my room by myself. (laughs) Oh, I was so weird. Like some young kids, they pretend they're basketball players, you know, like professional basketball players. He shoots, he scores, and like, you know, the crowd goes wild. I'm sitting in my room, (laughs) memorizing scripture, studying the Bible, and writing sermons. And I'm not joking. I kind of wish I was. (laughs) If someone would have told me back then that I was not allowed to do that, that I wasn't allowed to dream Of doing that because I was born a girl, my heart would have been broken. Here's the thing. I think I know where all the women pastors are. They're here. (laughs) They're among us. They just didn't know they were allowed to be called pastors. Now, I know I'm preaching to the choir here. Congregationalists have long been supportive of women ministers. Oh, thank God, what a relief. 
But yesterday when I was praying about this message, I broke down and wept over all the little girls and all the women throughout history who have been told to go home. I wept at the thought of my friend at eight years old. What did that do to her heart? I wept for the world. What could it have been by now if half the human race hadn't been told to stay away from the pulpit? I wept for my daughters. Why is the world still this way? Like I said, I've been blessed to be encouraged my whole life, but these last six years of my life have been a little difficult in that area. I've been introduced to doctrines that exclude women from leadership. I've heard and read many essays floating out there on the internet all around, spelling out not only why women should never become pastors, but that if a woman feels called, she's actually very clearly wrong. I've heard well-known pastors tell women to go home, pretending to, to, to hold women as equals, but all the while, not really. And when I learned these things, honestly, I was gutted. I just didn't understand. I thought that the church was the light of the world. And so my hope in the church and the church's light for me had nearly gone out. The church, the very thing I had devoted my life to, was suddenly a stranger to me. My dream, the call I felt, was nearly dead. There came a point three years ago when I asked God to throw me a rope. Anything. <laughs> I'll take anything. And to my surprise, God did. And I remember having this conversation with you. God threw me a rope. The rope he threw me was Pilgrim. It was Mark and Janet. Andy and I met Mark and Janet really three years ago, just in time. Just as the flame had nearly been snuffed out, God was there blowing on the coals. And God surprised me by answering my prayer. And that's how hope usually enters our lives, isn't it? Through surprise. It's not something we can plan for. It's that thing that goes, oh my gosh, thank you, just in time, just in time. I needed that just then. Job 5.9 says this. After all, he is famous for great and unexpected acts. There is no end to his surprises. Makoto Fujimura, in this book, Culture Care, that Mark's been talking about, puts it this way. Oh, I love this. Hope is disruptive. Counter to dominant wind patterns, interrupting what is mapped, a cross-current pushing with creativity and truth in directions that many may think neither possible nor desirable. In this sense, when hope arrives, it appears as a longed-for surprise arriving on some unexpected breeze or with some unanticipated visit. I was not expecting to find Pilgrim. I wasn't. How, how, could I, how can you expect the unexpected? You can't. 
I wasn't expecting to find hope in the church again. But God is so good. He knew that although I wasn't expecting it, I longed for it. And hope arrived for me on some unexpected breeze. And it was fresh and it was new and I didn't realize how much I needed it. When has God done that for you? When has God surprised you with hope just in the nick of time? As Christ followers, we are to take that hope and goodness and generously hand it out to everyone. That's what love is, right? Maya Angelou says this. She says, love liberates. Love liberates. Love does not hold down. Love does not snuff out. Love liberates. If I have one point in this so-called sermon this morning, it's this. (laughs) Surprise. Love liberates every single time. I think of the story of the woman who had been bleeding for years in the Bible. She longed to be healed. Then she hears of Jesus. She had exhausted all of her resources. She had spent all of her years trying to be healed, trying to, because she was considered unclean, right, if she's bleeding and she's a woman. She used all of her resources, all of her money to try different doctors and treatments and things to try to be healed, to try to be better, to try to be clean. And then she hears about this man called Jesus of Nazareth. One last, I imagine, one last surge of hope springs up in her. Could it be? If I could just touch the hem of his robe, it says that she said, right? If I could just touch the hem of his garment, then maybe I might be healed. So she musters up all the strength she has She fights this huge crowd. This little feeble woman who's been bleeding for years fights this huge crowd. And bingo. (laughs) She reaches that man. And instantly a miracle. The miracle that she had hoped for and longed for. She was healed of her bleeding. But just when she thought one miracle was enough, (laughs) Jesus notices her. Jesus stops in this huge crowd where his disciples were rushing him and pushing him through, you know. Keep going, Jesus. Guys, back off, back off like bodyguards. He acknowledges her. (laughs) He calls her daughter. He says to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Jesus grants her a public release, a public release from her shame. In that time, if a woman was bleeding in the way that she was bleeding, like I said, she was considered very unclean. And being considered unclean made you the lowest of the low. Jesus 
liberated her. <laughs> 2,000 years ago, that a man would do that for a woman like her. Surprise. Hope swooped into her life that day. 2 Corinthians 3.17 says this. Now the Lord is the Spirit. I love this. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. How then shall we live? I've been asking that lately on Sunday mornings. After reading scripture, how then shall we live? We have been offered freedom. (laughs) Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Come on. How then shall we live? I don't know. I feel like I should say, well, then make some room because we're going to bring some freedom in here. (laughs) We're going to liberate some people today. (laughs) Who do we include? Who don't we include? (laughs) How do we love? Does our love lift others up? Does our love liberate those around us? Are we feeling the need for control? Are we feeling the need to police? Maybe. Why? Does our love exclude people? Are we bringing freedom wherever we go? Are we creating safe spaces? And most importantly, I think maybe... Are we spreading hope? Such a simple thing. Love liberates every time. Please pray with me one more time. Heavenly Father, thank you for your generous love. Thank you for your surprise of hope swooping in just when we need it most. We are people who need you. Please surprise us with your goodness. Please give us the courage to love those around us the way you love us. We can't even fathom what you have done and what you are doing in this world. But we know you're going to wow us. (laughs) You're going to wow us with your love and provision. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, according to the power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church, and in Christ Jesus. To him be that glory throughout all generations. Amen.